0: Welcome to the Valley Avon podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Would you pray with me? Lord God, it is with such great joy that we come into your presence today today. We're delighted to be with you, our our Father, our Creator, our Lord, our God. And so, God, we come before you with everything that we are, and we ask you, God, would you shape us, every last bit of us? into the image of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. You would know this, sometimes saying goodbye can be difficult. I remember when I was a teenager, my grandfather came to a milestone birthday. Now, the thing you need to know about my grandfather is that he and I were very close when I was growing up. At the same time, when I was growing up, my grandfather faced multiple health crises. each one of them was serious. And I remember thinking about each one of them. I I need to pray for him, and I'm praying that he makes it through it. And each time he did, he seemed to make it through one health crisis after another. But then along came this milestone birthday. It was a big number. And I was with him on his birthday. And after supper... On his birthday, he and my grandmother and I got in the car. He was taking us for a ride to go get ice cream. And I remember sitting in the back seat of the car thinking about that big number that he had achieved. And I remember it dawned on me in the back seat of that car that that number was just going to be going up from there and that. He would reach a point, an age, where a health crisis would come that he would not survive. And it was then that I realized that at some point, I would have to say goodbye to my grandfather. And I sat in the backseat of the car with tears just rolling down my face. You know, the truth of the matter is that saying goodbye can make the relationships in our lives more difficult. When we've said goodbye in the past, sometimes it makes it difficult to say hello in the future. When we've said goodbye in the past, sometimes we push people back in the present. When we say goodbye in the past, sometimes we hold our feelings very closely going forward. And so we want to think about saying goodbye today. And, and as we think about saying goodbye, it, it's true that if we can say goodbye in the most important relationships in our lives, then we can understand how to say goodbye in other relationships as well. And we look today in, the, in, in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 1, and we see Paul wrestling with saying goodbye to his own life. And we read Paul writing to dear friends of his, some of his closest supporters in the world, and he's coaching them through and calling them to think about how to say goodbye to him. These are some of the most important relationships in his life, some of the toughest goodbyes to say. And if we process and understand how to say goodbye to these most important relationships in our lives, then we can face saying goodbye in all the other ways that we have to say goodbye in life, because this is true. Saying goodbye is going to happen to us in life. And that means, then, that saying goodbye is an essential skill if we are going to build healthy, life-giving relationships. And so the question is, how does our Christian faith Help us to say goodbye well. Well, the first question that Paul deals with is saying goodbye to his own life. How will you say goodbye? To life, And Paul is contemplating the thought of saying goodbye to his own life as we open our Scripture reading for today because we discover that the Apostle Paul is writing from prison, almost certainly in Rome. And we know from earlier in the book of Philippians that Paul is charged with uh, a capital offense of holding to the Christian faith. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi is one that Paul helped to start. He led a number of people in Philippi to Christ, and the Christians in Philippi later then became supporters of his, ardent supporters who helped him financially and practically throughout his ministry, and Paul was writing this letter to tell them thank you. He was writing them to ask them to pray for him, and he was writing to update them on what was going on in his life. And in the update that he gave to them, he he shared with them that he was in prison he wrote about the fact that he was chained to guards on a, on a constant basis. He was about to go through the next phase of his trial, and in that phase of the trial, he expected that he would receive a verdict. And if he received a guilty verdict, that would lead very quickly to his own execution. So Paul is dealing with the likelihood of the end of his life. And in the section that we read today, Paul is asking about what it would mean to live. And Paul expresses the fact very clearly that to live for him at first would mean that he would face an ordeal. There was a big ordeal ahead of him because in his trial, Paul would stand before a judge at least one more time. And in standing before that judge, he would be questioned And he would have at least one more opportunity to recant of his Christian faith. And Paul was concerned with how he would face that questioning, he, he spoke about not wanting to be ashamed, but to face it with full courage, which meant that Paul was worried that he would say something or do something that would, that would damage his, his perceived faith in Christ. He was concerned that there might even be an outside possibility that he would give in and deny Christ, and he didn't want that. And so he said, I'm praying, and I'm asking you to pray with me and for me. And he said, and I know because you are praying for me, and I know because the Spirit of Christ is with me. He said, this is going to turn out for my salvation. And he didn't mean that it meant he would certainly be set free from prison. What he meant is that he would stand firm in his faith and confess Christ until whatever end his life came to. And then he went on to say, if he does continue living, what would it mean? It would mean more chances for him to be shaped by the presence of Christ in his life. It would mean more opportunities for him to serve Christ. And it's interesting to hear Paul write about what it means to live. But then Paul goes on to talk about what it would mean to die, and, and, and Paul speaks about life and, and about death. He says if he, if he dies, he knows that that's going to mean that he's going to go to heaven. He knows that that's going to mean an end to his suffering, but more important than an end to his suffering, he knows that to die would mean that he has the glory of God and he is with God face-to-face. For eternity, and so he says, "I'm caught. I, I don't know which of the two should I choose." What a reversal of our values! Because if you put before any one of us the idea of you can live or you can die, which would you choose? Most of us would certainly say, "Well, I know what I choose. I choose life." And Paul here says, "I'm torn, knowing what waits for me in." eternity. says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Which shall I choose? And the tiebreaker for Paul of what he thinks is going to happen in his life comes because of what would happen in his trial. He said, if I am to be set free, if I am to be found innocent and set free, it would take a miracle. It would mean that God has done something astounding and God would get the glory. He was writing to the church in Philippi and he's saying, you would see the glory. You would be the ones who would know that God gets all of the glory. And he said, and if I were to be set free, what would I do? Well, I would continue serving Christ. I would share the gospel with more people. If I were to live, what would I do? I would come to you and I would be with you to build up your faith. And he says, okay, what does that mean? That means I probably will live. And and that really also reverses all of our values about what we think life is about because this is true. Most of us do not think that we live to bring glory and honor to God and to serve Christ. Most of us think that we live in order to enjoy living. Look at what Paul has just told us the real purpose of life is. The purpose of life is to bring glory to God and to serve Christ. And so, how will you say goodbye to your life? As I look at the way that the Apostle Paul was saying potentially goodbye to his life, that seems so right. The Apostle Paul is saying goodbye to life, Faithfully and fearlessly. And I want to think that I can do that, that I someday can say goodbye to my life faithfully and fearlessly. How will you say goodbye to life? But Paul's also addressing how to say goodbye to others. How will you say goodbye to others? And and Paul is coaching the Christians in Philippi on how to say goodbye to him because he is recognizing that it's still very likely that he is going to die and be taken from them. And he says, okay, so if I am gone, what are you to do? And he says, you want to know how to say goodbye to me? Well, he says, well, let your manner of life, verse 27, be Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Walk in a worthy way, he's saying. That's what will comfort me because if you walk in a worthy way, I will know that my life has mattered. My work has been worth it. Mine will have been a life well spent because I invested in you and you walk in a way that is worthy. That will be comforting to me. Paul says, if you want to say goodbye to me, well, walk in a way that is worthy worthy of Christ. Isn't it amazing that Paul would coach his friends on how to say goodbye to him? Why do you think that is necessary? Because unfortunately, we get very uncomfortable in situations where it's time to say goodbye. We get very uncomfortable around the sick and around people who are dying. Now, as a pastor, I have spent a lot of my life around people who are sick and people who are dying, and it doesn't make me uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable being around sick people. I know it's an opportunity to bring comfort, and I'm not uncomfortable around people who are dying because I know that death is one of the holiest moments in a person's life. And these are places that I have been in life. But I recognize as well that it's a context that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. We are not comfortable around sick people sometimes because we're afraid that we're going to get sick. We're afraid that somehow we're going to make them sicker. We're just... Not sure what it is that we're supposed to say or do. It just makes us uncomfortable. And and in a similar way, we are very uncomfortable around people who are dying. We don't know what to say there either. We say things that are not smart and not theologically true. But we don't know what to do with our feelings. We don't know how to say goodbye. We're terrified of the loss and we don't know how to think about our own mortality so we get very uncomfortable around people who are sick and dying saying goodbye is not easy it's it's very difficult what a gift then it is that paul is coaching his friends on how to say goodbye to him. Live in a worthy manner, and you'll bring me comfort. And he says, you know what? You have to think about what life is going to be like after me. And he says, I want you to be prepared for the future that is going to come to you, because Paul's saying, if I die, you are going to have to go on living. And and so he says to them, "I I understand that if I am gone, you are going to still face difficulty and hardship." Because Paul tells them as he closes this chapter, he says, you, I understand, are suffering. He says, you you are going through the same kinds of things that I am. Paul was experiencing persecution, and he knew that the Christians in Philippi were experiencing persecution as, as well. They weren't in the same situation that Paul was, but they were still facing sanction from their government and pressure from the government. And he said, I see you. I know what you're going through. You're going to go through hardship but he said to them, what I want you to do is I want you to stand firm, verse 27. I want you to stand firm in your faith in Christ. I want you to strive side by side together. I want you to stay united as a people with one another because when hardship comes, division comes. He says, I want you to strive for the gospel I want you to keep making progress for the gospel. And he said, and I want you to do all of that without fear because he said, when you stand firm, when you strive side by side, when you strive for the gospel and you do all of that fearlessly, he said, wow, that is gonna be a witness. It's gonna say to the world that you are being saved in Jesus. He said, it's gonna say to every one of your opponents who's persecuting you, Judgment and condemnation are all that wait for them. And Paul says, You need to be prepared for what life after me is going to look like. Face that hardship, stand firm in Christ, strive together, strive for the gospel, and do it all fearlessly. How will you say goodbye to others? You see, we Christians don't grieve in the same way that other people grieve. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul is talking about this very thing. He, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul is saying most people who, who do not have faith in Christ look at goodbyes as an end. They look at a goodbye and they think that there is nothing more afterward. And so when they say goodbye, when they grieve someone they have lost, they do so with a quiet sense of desperation and a deep sense of hopelessness. And Paul said, that is not you. You do not grieve without hope. You as a Christian grieve differently. How will you say goodbye to others? Because you see, in Christ, we only say goodbye for a season. In Christ, we only say goodbye for a season. You see, throughout history, human beings have understood the fact that there is life after death. Belief in life after death has been a part of every culture, really, since the beginning of of history. And belief in life after death is really a part of almost every major world religion. Recently, I had the chance to be in Egypt and to stand at the base of the pyramids of Giza. And the pyramids in Giza were built by the pharaohs of Egypt. And the pharaohs of Egypt were thinking About life after death. And and they thought they needed to be prepared for life after death. And so they built these massive pyramids to store in everything that they would need for life after death and to serve as gateways to the afterlife. Now, trust me, they were crazy and they, they got a few things wrong, but they understood that it's important to think about and prepare for life after death. And if you have ever spoken with people, who work in hospice and alongside dying people on a frequent basis, they will tell you that there is something that happens frequently at the end that says there is something more past life. Scientists and pseudoscientists study life and death and life after death. And all that is to say is that there is something deep inside of us as human beings that knows that death is not the end which is why it's important for you to understand that secular humanists are spinning an elaborate web of deceit and lies when they say that life ends at death. Secular humanists teach that we are nothing more than our physical bodies, flesh and blood, everything describable by natural and physical processes. And secular humanists will teach you that life ends at death and they will state such as fact, but it's not fact. It's a statement of faith. It is a hope. They don't know that life ends at death. They hope that life ends at death. And they hope that the death that ends life is the same for everyone. It's not true. It's a statement of faith. It is a hope, and it's a lie. It's a lie. Christianity is the only framework that helps us to rightly understand life and death. Because Christianity teaches us that for every human being, there is life after death. But Christianity also teaches us that not every human being has the same life after death. Christianity tells us that we human beings have a problem, a profound problem, and that problem is sin. And because we have sinned, we have separated ourselves From God, and we have gained for ourselves the right penalty, the judgment of death and separation from God forever, and living eternally in conscious punishment in hell. That is what awaits us after death. That's the bad news that Christianity tells us. We human beings have a profound problem. But the good news of Christianity is that Jesus took our sin on himself. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over death itself, proving that there is something beyond death. And now Jesus offers us forgiveness. And if we receive that forgiveness, then we get, along with forgiveness, new life flowing into us. And not only new life, but we get eternal life, such that when we die, we will spend eternity with God. The difference is is profound. Not all human beings have the same life after death. Apart from God, it is conscious punishment in hell, but in Christ, it is eternity face-to-face with God. And that makes all the difference in how we grieve as followers of Jesus because we recognize that in every goodbye that we say to a Christian, we will see them again. Every time we say goodbye at the death of a Christian, we know that we will see them again. We know that this separation is only for a season and that we will see them again soon and we will be together forever. And that changes the way we grieve and it changes the way we as Christians say goodbye. That's why we grieve differently. And that's why I always have a trip planned to see my two sons. I have two children, two sons, two adult sons, and they don't live nearby. They live a long way away, and that means that I don't get to see them all the time, and I miss them, and I grieve being with them. But I love getting to see them, and when I get to the month of May, I'm probably going to see one of my sons. And in July, I've got plans to see both of my sons. I know that I'm going to see them soon, which changes the way that I grieve. And when I see them in July... I will not only see them, but before I see them in July, I will have planned the next time that I'm going to see them as well. Because then when I say goodbye to them in July, I will be saying goodbye to them for a short time. I will be able to see, say to them, I will see you again soon. And I will know that it is true. And that's how you and I grieve as followers of Jesus, and it changes how we grieve. When we say goodbye, we are not saying goodbye forever. We are saying, I will see you again soon, and we mean it. Saying goodbye well helps us to build healthy, life-giving relationships And we don't like to say goodbye. Minnesotans have a practice that that reminds us that we don't like to say goodbye. Uh, It's called the Long Minnesota Goodbye. And I know about it because I lived in Minnesota for over a decade. And the Long Minnesota Goodbye is something that they do just because Minnesotans don't like to say goodbye. If you're spending time with someone, if you're over at, at someone's house and you are planning to leave, you'll say, Well, it's probably time for us to go, which you and I would say, is prelude to going. But in Minnesota, you would know that that is prelude to another dessert, another game, another conversation. And then after that, you would perhaps get up and head toward the door, and you would think that that's time to leave. And no, that just means that we're gonna have another conversation at the door. And this time of year, because it's cold, then you get your coat on, your hat on, your gloves on, and you think, okay, now it's time to leave. But not in Minnesota. Now it's time to talk about the weather. It's time to talk about how long winter has been and how quickly spring is coming, how great it's going to be when summer gets here. And then you go out and you get in the car, and and as the car is warming up, you roll down the windows, and you have one more conversation before you go. It's the long Minnesota goodbye, because Minnesotans don't like to say... Goodbye, but saying goodbye is a part of life. You see, sin has entered our world, and in this fallen, sinful world, sin has brought death into this world, and death is not a one-time event. Death is a process that is unleashed in creation, and it touches everything, and sin and death together are why we have to say all of the goodbyes that we say, and death is not the only goodbye we say. There are goodbyes that we've said of broken relationships. There are goodbyes that we've said because friend from one season wasn't the friend for the next season. There are simpler goodbyes that we say because we changed jobs and and we say goodbye to old colleagues. and, And there's even the goodbye that you say at the end of a party. We say goodbyes all the time. Some of us are bad at saying goodbye, because we've said goodbye in the past, we lash out in the future. Sometimes, because we've said goodbye in the past, we close ourselves off. Sometimes, because we've said goodbye in the past, we, we push people away in the present. And one of the things we know is that hurting people hurt people. Some of us are bad at saying goodbye. But grieving is a part of life. Grief isn't something that we do one time in our lives and it's done. And grief is actually not a task that you check off a list and complete over and over again. Grieving is actually something that, once you've begun it, it becomes a part of life. Grief becomes, as we say goodbye multiple times in our lives, something we do all the time. Grief becomes a constant companion of ours in life. But saying goodbye doesn't have to rob us of our joy. We can say goodbye well. Saying goodbye well means saying thank you to God. Thank you, God, for the people in my life. You've given me the privilege of loving. Thank you for the ways that I have been loved. Thank you for the experiences that I've had and for the ministry that I've been able to do. Thank you, God. A grieving has to be done together. If you are a follower of Jesus, and you are here. You are part of this church, and if you are a part of this church, then you don't have to grieve alone. You grieve not only with us as your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you grieve with the presence of God the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus says, I will send you my spirit. He is your comforter. God the Holy Spirit comes into your life and comforts you in the midst of your grief. You don't grieve alone. Saying goodbye well means saying thank you to God, it means grieving together, and it means grieving in hope. Because we grieve in hope knowing that Jesus is coming again and we will live forever with him. And we grieve in hope because the Bible tells us that one day Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. We can say goodbye well. And saying goodbye well helps us build healthy, life-giving relationships. Saying goodbye well gives us the ability to look to the future and ask, God, what do you have next? Saying goodbye well gives us the uh, the ability to say to God, I want to see your glory in this new chapter in my life. Saying goodbye well means that we face the future and we ask, God, what life, what ministry, what service do you have for me to do? And saying goodbye well means that we look ahead. We say, God, what relationships are you going to place in my life next? Saying goodbye well helps us build healthy, life-giving relationships. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.